This podcast is a proud member of the Unidentified Network. Police in Las Vegas found themselves in the middle of a UFO mystery last month after a... Big eyes, they have big eyes. Welcome to a live episode of the Mythical Legends podcast. Now, we have a very, very special guest. And um, this was a very, very um, brief change that we decided to do, to do a live podcast. Now, this um, this guest that we have today um, is a very, very special guest. And he, uh, you will probably know who he is. Um, and he owns a podcast for himself, and probably, in my mind, the biggest Bigfoot podcast there is. So let's uh, let's bring him on and let's have an amazing chat. So please welcome Brian King Sharp. Hey, buddy. Hey, Daniel. How are you, man? I'm very, very, very well. How are you, mate? I am good, man. I am just working away in the office today, and here we are doing a live podcast. Who knew, right? <laughs> um, so, mate, um, we've um, we had a interview, um, kind of just me and you, didn't we? Um, and um, it was on your podcast, and that was a great podcast. Wanna... It was an awesome time, man, and it's one of the most popular episodes that we did last year. People were really interested in your story. They were interested in wow. your findings. I got a lot of feedback on that. You know, of course, you get the haters who say, why are you looking for Bigfoot in the UK? They're not over there, of course. Yeah. You and I have talked about that before. But in yeah. general, the it was just an overwhelming response. So it was a really cool interview, and I'm glad that we got to do it for sure. Good, mate. We have uh, a Gwen um, in chat. Hi, Gwen. How are you? Um, so let's jump straight in and hope this is uh, as good as, um, as our podcast we did. Um, so could you tell us about how you got interested into the cryptid world, man? I think it was definitely the Loch Ness monster that drew me in as a kid when I was about your age, maybe a little bit younger. It was something that was just on my radar. I don't know if I saw a show about it, but I saw the photograph. I think it was the 1930s doctor photograph, which has obviously turned out to be a hoax later on in, in the years. But that's what really got me interested in Nessie. And then I started looking at other cryptids. And Bigfoot, of course, is, in my opinion, the number one cryptid out there that people are interested in. And I grew up in the North Georgia mountains here in the U.S., and I heard stories about people encountering hairy men and wild men. They didn't call them Bigfoot or Sasquatch back then. That wasn't really in the the nomenclature of that time. But what they were what they were talking about and what they were describing then, I know now in retrospect, knowing what I know now about Bigfoot and Sasquatch, that's what they were talking about. So it, I grew up hearing those stories. You know, my dad had a a Native American friend that he went fishing with and I would go on those fishing trips and I would hear him talking about the Native American. He was Cherokee and they would talk about the Cherokee traditions and lore around Bigfoot, Sasquatch, the hairy man. So I grew up hearing those stories and then from my great grandfather and great grandmother who had lived in that area their entire lives, talked about some of the older stories that they were exposed to as kids when people were experiencing hairy men and wild men in the woods. So that really sparked my interest early on about Bigfoot. Then I had an experience when I was 12, when I was in the woods that I think could be possibly attributable to a Sasquatch encounter. So once that happened, I really wasn't sure what went on at the time, 
in retrospect, knowing again what I know now, I look back and look at those experiences and say, it's kind of what I've been hearing with people having experiences with Bigfoot or Sasquatch. So I don't know, it could be, I didn't see what it was, but that really sparked my interest to, to look deeper into the subject. And of course, we all grow older, we get into other things, work starts, you become an adult, and you don't really have as much time for those things that really sparked your interest as a kid. And that's exactly what happened to me. I grew up and became a police officer and I spent 16 years in law enforcement. And you don't really talk about those things when you're a cop, at least I did. You don't go to work and talk about UFOs, which I, I had a UFO experience when I was 16. But wow. you don't talk about that stuff at work. You know, you, you go and arrest people and then you got to go prosecute <laughs> people. And the prosecutors will look for anything they possibly can. Oh, this guy's talked about Bigfoot on his Facebook page. He must be crazy. So he couldn't have arrested my client for driving under the influence because he believes in aliens and Bigfoot. So I didn't really talk oh, about that. And when I left the police department and got out of that line of work, I really got back into my pursuit of what I loved as a kid, which was cryptids and other things. And Bigfoot was one of those things. I started listening to podcasts. I, I didn't know a podcast existed. And then somebody said, hey, you should listen to a Bigfoot podcast. They have encounter shows that people talk about their encounters. So that's really what sparked it for me later on in life was listening to podcasts and getting into people's encounters. And then I wanted to document as many encounters as I could in the southeastern United States where I lived because a lot of people say they don't exist here. Very much like they say to you about them being in the UK. Oh, Bigfoot can't be in the UK. Well, Bigfoot can't be in Georgia or it can't be in North Carolina or South Carolina or Tennessee or Florida or Alabama. It can't be in any of those places. And I thought that's not entirely accurate. I think people are having those experiences. So let me try to find some. So I did found people who had had experiences and started the podcast and started talking to people and documenting those encounters and Sasquatch Odyssey was born. Well, I think you've done incredibly well, Brian. And um, I, uh, every time I, I've brought up with someone, um, Oh, have you listened to a bit a Bigfoot podcast? Um, and, and they go, yeah, which one? Um, they went, oh, it's called Sasquatch Odyssey. And I go, ah, uh, okay. And it's everyone here in the UK, mate. So, so you've gone everywhere, and it it's really it's, it's really really interesting on how on how people get interested. Some people get interested by well by watching TV. Uh, some people get interested by actually having a sighting or and it's really really interesting hearing that you actually kind of um, grew up with a father who had who had a friend and I think that the the Native Americans kind of that's how we have some of our good stories about the um, Bigfoot mystery would you agree definitely and that's one of the things I was talking to you about it a couple of days ago and just offline earlier today. I just finished the book. The book is going to be out in the beginning of February. It's called Sasquatch Unleashed, The Truth Behind the Legend. And that's one of the things that I addressed in the book was talking about Sasquatch history. And of course, you can't talk about the history of Sasquatch without getting into some of the Native American lore and the traditionals, the oral traditions that's been passed down about their experiences with what we know as Bigfoot or Sasquatch. So... It was very interesting to me, again, to have that early on, like you said, with that relationship with my father's friend. And then you hear those experiences and you hear his experience with Sasquatch through his lens. And then I hear it from people like my grandparents, my great grandparents, who had a different perspective on Bigfoot. They were probably, most of the time they were telling the stories, they were really poking fun at the people. Oh yeah, you know, John said he was up ginseng hunting and said this big hairy man ran him. I think he was probably drinking some hooch, you know, he might've had too much, <laughs> that kind of thing. But it was a completely different thing to hear my friend, my dad's friend, Elijah, talk about that because it was a very respectful thing. It was a very different relationship that he had with the lore, or lore around Sasquatch then you know, of course, my great grandparents or whatnot. But it is interesting to me. That's one of the questions I always ask when I interview people on my show is what got you interested in the subject to begin with? And like you said, for some people, it's I love Monster Quest. I love In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. Or I saw it on the Six Million Dollar Man when I was a kid, you know, and they had a couple of episodes where, you know, Steve Austin, the Six Million Dollar Man had to battle a Sasquatch. So that's another thing that I talk about in the book is the the pop culture and how Bigfoot is not just a Native American legend or lore. It has permeated 
and worked its way into almost every facet of pop culture here now in 2024 it's a household name yeah yeah you know, it is yeah. you talk to people and i know they've done surveys recently as the last couple of years and like one in three people believe at least in the united states that sasquatch could be something that exists so i think that's changed a lot over the years and i'm i'm glad to see it for sure and and on that note brian that is something that my project here 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 is in the uk because when i talk to people all over the us they're like oh yeah we um we're chatting about bigfoot um in about an hour or um or kind of doing like a bigfoot festival or something i'm going what now the reason why is because here in the uk you don't hear of bigfoot you don't hear of kind of maybe yeah the odd person that would consider loopy um would we'll, we'll go oh do you believe in bigfoot i and someone would go what the hell are you talking about and you would go that's what i want kind of all over the world and to, to kind of bring bigfoot more in because it's it's something that really fascinates a lot of people and i think people like both you and me oh, i sat i sit here every time in every podcast and go oh my god i didn't know that and it's really really fascinating listening to all different people's stories would you agree definitely and that's another thing i talk about in the book is shows like finding bigfoot for example in all the shows now we have the the new bigfoot show that's on it opened up the door for people to be able to talk about it openly or more openly without it being such a joke and i think mm. those shows you know i've had conversations with cliff about that you know cliff doesn't he's a very modest person he's a very down-to-earth and humble person if you know cliff personally He's not into the limelight and all the things that come with the fame of being on television for 12 or 13 years, however long that show was running. But it did so much. What he and Bobo and Matt and Renee did was bring that into literally millions of people's homes and make it okay for them to talk about. Now, of course, they were a butt of a lot of jokes. There's plenty of Finding Bigfoot memes out there to this day. But it really did a lot of things in allowing people to be accepted in talking about that in mixed company, which I think is a fantastic thing. And we're still not completely there yet. Obviously, Bigfoot is a joke to many, many people. But mm. particularly in the UK, you know, you talk to people and they, they don't believe it could exist and they have their reasons or whatnot. But I think there's a lot of people. We have a big audience in the UK and a lot of people are interested in the stories. Sometimes it's just a surface interest. It doesn't go much further than, hey, I just like to hear stories. They're entertaining. You know, I have people email me all the time and say, hey, my wife and I just go to sleep listening to your voice at night. You know, people listen for so many different reasons. But there are a lot of people who are genuinely interested in finding the answers to whether these things are existing, where you are or not. And I've had people on the show who've had encounters with those things, or at least say they've had encounters in the UK. So... Yeah, I love it, man. That's what keeps me coming back. There's there's always something new to talk about with everybody's experience. Absolutely. It's like you said, every time you have somebody on your show, you learn something new, you hear something maybe that you haven't heard. Or the thing for me is finding that commonality that seems to weave itself through all of the encounters, similar things that happen to people in completely opposite areas. Somebody in Canada will have an experience with a, what they believe to be a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot. And I'll talk to somebody in Florida who has the exact same experience. So yeah. they're either, and these people don't know each other. So there's, it's not like they called each other up and said, Hey, when you talk to Brian, make sure you tell him this, I'm going to make sure I say that. No, it is their experience. Oh, that's so, not out. Yeah. I like to hear those commonalities and put all of that stuff together. And I think you and I both podcasts are really the new way to, it becomes a repository for all this information. We're collecting data mm. every single time we talk to a person. There's people like Peter Byrne and some of the other four horsemen of Sasquatchery interviewed so many people. Uh, John Green comes to mind. John Green had a ton of interviews on tape. So at least he would tape some of his interviews for posterity and we can go back and listen to those. Now you can go to the Sasquatch archives and get some of his stuff because it's been preserved now. But for the most part, if those interviews are conducted, 
it's between two people or they might take hand notes or whatever, but the, the encounter's really lost after that. So that's what I love about doing the show is being able to record those and they're out for anybody to listen to in perpetuity. Once those interviews are out there, anybody can listen to them anytime they want to. A hundred years from now, when I'm gone from the earth, it'll still be here for people to listen to. And who knows, a hundred years from now, they may be listening to something on your podcast going, and Daniel was talking to that guy about this, and this just happened last week. There's 120 years that went by, you know. Hopefully we'll, we'll, yeah. hopefully we'll get some answers before then, but... Of course, yeah, and and that and that is part of my job now, Brian. Is I can't wait any longer, and and we we just we just have to get there now. And to kind of answer this um this kind of comment here, is it the future generation younger than me? It's like I had a message last week, um, where a young boy seven is a was. Um, really, really into kind of uh, mystery, and he's listened to your podcast, Brian, and he's listening to mine. And for a seven-year-old to kind of do that—that's quite—that's um, quite big. And he's now out in the forest. He's now out looking for Bigfoot. He's—that's what—that's what it's also about. So when, when like we're gone, that's what I want these guys to kind of take over. Is kind of take over and not let it kind of just disappear and um it's just the most fascinating mystery in my mind it's just when let's say i have a podcast three times with the same person we we always talk about something different we never talk about the same thing it's always something new always something to kind of talk about so if we did this podcast twice i bet you anything that we'll just talk we'll just talk about something different um, and kind of talking about something different, I really want to know about your Bigfoot experiences. Now, you mentioned uh, when you had uh, you had one when you were 12. Do you want to kind of tell us about that? Sure. I feel like everybody's already heard this story because I've, I've told it on my show and I've told it as a guest on a bunch of podcasts. But the short of it is, is I was out hunting. We, we lived in an area where we had a bunch of land to the side of our house and it was all wooded. So I would go out and spend most of my time in the woods. And I was doing that one day and I came up on this area that I hadn't been to a lot of times. I don't even know if I'd really been into this area because there was so much to explore. But I came up into this area and I got this really weird, eerie feeling that came over me. We hear that a lot of times when people talk about their Bigfoot encounters. The hair on the back of my neck stood up, the hair on my arms stood up, and I just froze in place. And I just had this overwhelming feeling like, I should not be here. I'm not supposed to be here. And then I started hearing some gruffs and growls and grunts from, it's kind of hard to explain if you've never been in the South. Anybody who's been deep in the woods in the summertime, there's usually a lot of cover, but in Georgia, in the Carolinas, I live in North Carolina now, if you haven't been in the woods and seen that type of cover in the summertime, you can't see sometimes five feet in front of you in certain areas. It's so thick, the cover. And this is sort of that case. It was like 10 feet away from me, maybe 15 feet away from me. I couldn't see on the other side of this big area of just thick brush and cover, but I could hear this thing grunting. I could hear it growling. I could hear what sounded like bipedal footsteps and it scared the crap out of me. So I just, I, I think, I think I even wrote it into the book when I'm talking about this encounter. I literally used the analogy of it felt like my wood, my legs had turned to wood and they were driven into the ground. I just couldn't move. So I, I hear then what sounds like I know now to be a bluff charge. I had no idea what that sounded like or what that would be like back then. But now knowing what I've, the research that I've done now, I believe it was a bluff charge. Again, this thing was stopping like 10 feet away from me. But whatever it was, my 12-year-old brain didn't process it at the time, but this thing was pissed off and it did not want me to be there for whatever reason. Mm. So I ended up, eventually, it, it felt like hours, but it was probably literally maybe 30 seconds this went on. Eventually my brain switched from fight to flight and it was time to go, right? Yeah. I turned around and ran the six or 800 yards back to my house. I literally jumped over the barbed wire fence that was there and just sort of 
fell and plopped into the yard and I felt like, okay, I'm home, I'm safe. And I didn't tell anybody. My mom was in that inside. I didn't tell her because I didn't know what to say. A, I was smart enough even at 12 to know if I tell her that I just had this experience, she's probably not going to let me go back into the woods. And that's not what I wanted. I did want to go back out into the woods. So I didn't say anything. And I literally, I don't think I told my mom until about a year or so, maybe two years ago, I finally told her about the experience. And she's like, really? I never knew. I was like, no, I, I wasn't going to tell you because I didn't want to be on the receiving end of no, you'll never go back into the woods again. But it did take me a while. I think it was probably, that was during the beginning of the summer when school had just gotten out. I don't think I went back into the woods that summer. I think it was probably the fall before I went back into the woods. So, you know, maybe six or seven, maybe eight months I was scared. I didn't want to go back into the woods because I didn't want to run into whatever that was. Mm. So, and it, was and just... it it seems like you have a lot of emotion against that. Even now, you you obviously kind of felt like I. It's like when 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 I speak to some people, they're like, "This thing could have killed me. This thing could have stopped everything." And I go. Well, maybe when people are out, they do need to be very diligent and kind of um, very, very kind of have one step ahead of of whatever this thing is. Um, and did you feel like you couldn't control yourself and kind of just how, how, how did you actually feel when when you were hearing this? Yeah, it was such a like I said, it was such a fear invoking moment i could not physically make myself move and if if you've never been in that kind of a situation i've been in that situation a couple of times as a police officer when i'm getting shot at it's immediately that your brain says okay you got to do one of two things either you're gonna you're gonna fight and move forward or you're gonna retreat and sometimes you just can't do anything because your body just you just freeze and I know it's hard to imagine if you've never been that frightened or you've never been in a situation where adrenaline takes over like that, but that's exactly what happened to me in that situation. I literally could not move for, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 seconds. It could have been longer. It could have been a minute. It could have been 10 seconds. I don't know. But I physically could not move. I was so frightened by what was going on. Then eventually, I don't know what it was. After what sounded like the bluff charge, I'd had enough and I knew it was time to go. So I was able to turn around and leave. And then again, afterwards, sort of processing it, you know, your 12 year old brain says, oh, well, that was scary. You know, and then it's like a shiny object comes by. And then, you know, by dinner time, I was kind of forgetting about it. So it wasn't something that really, at least cognitively traumatized me afterwards. I moved on from it. The only thing that bothered me was going back into the woods. And every time I would think, you know, sometimes I'd, there'd be in situations where I'll, I'm going to go out in the woods today. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> no, I'm not. Because that happened, right? That was three weeks ago or whatever. So, you know, of course, after the six or seven months went by, nothing happened. I didn't hear anything else or whatever. I, I would start to venture. I don't think I ever went back to that area in the woods. I went to the opposite direction. I would avoid that area at all costs because I didn't want to walk back through there. You know, of course, the thing, whatever it was, could have been anywhere. And I think the biggest thing that bothered me about it is I never got to see what it was. So it was the not yeah. knowing, you know, if I'd been able to say, maybe put eyes on this thing, it would have probably been worse. But I feel like mm. in some cases, maybe it would have been a little better for me because I would have been able to process at least put a figure or a face or whatever I saw with the noises. But, you know, so many years later. I'm just still wondering because I didn't see what it was. And yeah, of course, tough because, you know, I, I tell the story and it could have been something completely different. I don't know what it was. I, I can't think of anything known to me or in that area that could have done those things. But again, you know, nature is, is weird. I've never definitively said it was Sasquatch because I didn't see it. So mm, yeah, is not being able to process it completely because I didn't see what made the sounds. Mm, and and as uh, as a researcher myself and you and everyone else out there, it's you've got to keep the uh, fear um, kind of behind closed doors when you're out there. It's like I I kind of make my mind go. There's nothing here, e even though there might well be you've just got 
to really do brilliant research and to really you've got to move past that because otherwise you'll you'll step foot in the forest hear one bird noise and and you're out um and i think well done for you for kind of going over kind of because if i had that 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 wouldn't leave my my mind for ages brian and i keep saying to people as a joke like i'll just like run and but if this thing stood in front of me and i think i would would just stand i I probably wouldn't be able to move but it's hard to kind of plan for something like that isn't it it's hard to kind of it it comes up by surprise when you're out in the forest you're like could this could this happen or and it's like that growl that you heard it's like you didn't know that that was going to happen and um i think these days you've just got to kind of move past it um and i think it's hard to do that (laughs) if if that happens it's hard to kind of forget in your mind that that this kind of um thing um kind of happens uh, and we'll move on to some of the other encounters you you had later but could you tell everyone and this is a um, bit of a giveaway because the title's above your head Brian um, could you tell people a little bit about your podcast and a little bit about the stories that you've kind of heard from people that, you, that you've interviewed yeah this the podcast is all about encounter stories. I do other things. I read some stories on occasion. Sometimes I will read and present scientific articles and other things that are related to Bigfoot. But the majority of the show, 98% of the show is all about interviewing people who have had encounters. And I think I just posted yesterday was episode 418 or so of the show. So there's a lot of material out there. There's a lot of encounters. And I have talked to The one thing I do on the show, in addition to just Joe or Jane, average Joe, Jane, who has seen a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot in the course of their day, I also like to spend time with researchers. I think it's very important to talk to researchers like yourself who get out into the field, who have found and made discoveries, and even in some cases had experiences of their own. Because the research is really, in my opinion, where things are going to get done. We can document as many cases of people who have roadside crossings or hunters who stumble across these things. And all of that is great. The stories are entertaining and you can glean a lot from those stories. You can take a little bit of data from here, like I talked about earlier, and find correlations or look at size in the Pacific Northwest versus maybe skunk apes in Florida and do comparisons based on what you're hearing in the interviews. But real research and investigation that's going on in the field is really what's going to push the ball down the field, in my opinion. So I like to spend a lot of time with researchers and document as much as I can from those people. So the researchers have run the gamut. I've had, you know, I think episode nine of my show was Dr. Jeff Meldrum, Ron Moorhead. I've had Les Stroud, Survivor Man on the show. Controversial as he may be, Todd Standing has been on the show and he doesn't do a ton of podcasts. And I've had people like Peter Byrne. I got to, Peter Byrne was one of the four horsemen of Sasquatchery. And I think I was literally the last person to do an interview with Peter before he passed away. So getting that sort of knowledge, again, you know, Peter has a lot to say about Bigfoot. I mean, he did a lot of interviews. He wrote some books over the course of his life. You know, he spent 60 plus years of his life looking for these things. And I don't think Peter ever found so much as a footprint. So those little nuances are very interesting to me because there are a lot of researchers who go out and have areas where they claim to have tons of experiences, right? There's Mm. people in the 400 that come to mind, Shane Carpenter and Randy Harrington in the 400. You know, they have had tons of experiences, cast tons of footprints. The people at Area X, the North American Wood Ape Conservancy, you know, Matt Pruitt, Daryl Collier, Brian Brown, those people. Again, tons of experiences. So having those people on the show sort of balances it out for me, but the show is really ultimately all about encounters because most of the people that I have on the show that are researchers have had some sort of experience. Not everybody's seen a Sasquatch. I don't think that's the end all be all really, you know, yeah. those, those kind of encounters are really sexy. You know, when somebody says, you know, they see one, it steps out behind a tree. It was huge. And they have this big description. It's, it's great. 
But sometimes I like those interviews where there isn't a sighting because if you're hearing things, there's auditory encounters, you know, rock throwing, they're finding footprints, they're finding, you know, possible DNA, stuff like that. I think in a way that's a lot more interesting to me because there appears to be a lot more that you can take from that. You can extrapolate a lot more data from physical evidence left behind other than I just saw this thing. But it's it's really the it runs the gamut on the show. We have tons of experiences and then like I said, interviews with researchers as well. Mm. And that's that that's where me and you both have something very, very much in um in common. And where I don't get everything um, I, I don't have all encounters I I have people that are just interested just literally just interested that have listened to all these podcasts and um, collected their own kind of um, r- info from just listening and I think that's where it falls and you go t- to actually research Bigfoot you don't have to be out in the field you can be sat on your on the sofa um, with your dressing gown on, uh, with a drink, researching Bigfoot. That that and I think that's possibly, as you said earlier, one of the great things about podcasts is you it, it has all the details in there, all details from all over the world, and where you go. Oh, is there a map of Bigfoot? Well yeah there is when you listen to these podcasts you go there's sighting there sighting there sighting there and i think that's probably one of the best kind of um pieces pieces of equipment i'll say you can have is um having this network where you can talk to people um and and other people kind of listen it's like here now we we've got eight p eight people listening right here and now and those eight people will all know um like about this podcast and i think that's probably one of the best things about kind of um podcasts you don't have to meet people you don't have to and it also kind of prepares you for going out the forest it's like um i i listened to one of your episodes probably about two weeks ago now where i listened to where you had the sighting and it kind and it kind of got me and going oh this is something to kind of watch out for this is kind of i think and i think that's probably one of the most incredible things so we're everyone out there we are going to have a very short break and we'll be uh, we'll back after the break with um some very new and interesting stories okay guys see in a bit For half an hour on Saturday afternoons and for quarter of an hour on Wednesday evenings, the world's only show about hard science, weird shit and surreality. And it's co-presented by an anthropomorphic chicken. Be there. Oh, that was awesome. Um, yeah, so that, um, Brian, that is one of our podcasters here in the UK, Jonathan Downs. He, he's very, very funny and um, he likes to dress up as a chicken sometimes. Um, a- An anthropomorphic chicken. I love it. <laughs> um, so let's move on completely from, um, from kind of uh, our, our podcast and go to. Do you do your own research at the forest um, yourself nowadays? I do. That's one of the reasons, the very reasons that I bought the 40 acres of property that we have our house on now. It was, it sort of fell in our lap. It was a one day land sale that popped up. We've had the property now seven years. And thought to myself, you know, I would love it if there might be some activity because I knew there had been some sightings in the area surrounding the the property so i thought you know is it possible there could be bigfoot there i don't know and as soon as i saw the property we had to have it it is as bobo would say it's very squatchy (laughs) and that i fell in love with it not just for that reason 
we wanted to live here eventually. But when I saw the property, I thought, could there be? Yeah. And it turns out that we've had some experiences here that have been pretty squatchy. So yeah, I do research as much as possible on the property here. We've actually talked about, Danny and I've talked about possibly in the spring of this year, sort of opening it up to having other people come on and do some research here on the property. So, you know, we've had vocalizations here. That was the first thing that we heard, some really distant vocalizations. And then, I don't know, two, three years in, when we were finally here full time, very loud, close up, Ohio howl sort of vocalization maybe 40 wow. 50 yards from the house that ended in sort of a bark on the end which was really weird i really never heard anybody explain that before and that sort of sparked it for me thinking wow that that was really strange that was well the the sounds that we heard in the distance were probably a mile away maybe three quarters of a mile on this ridge behind us and you know that could be anything but it sounded very Ohio howlish, and we heard that several times over the course of the winter. Actually, it was yeah, it was winter when we first heard it. Maybe this would be three or so years ago now. Just in the hot tub at night, having a glass of wine, not a bottle, just a glass. We weren't. <laughs> we, were, we had our faculties about us, so I know the difference in a dog and a coyote. So people always say, "Oh, he's drinking. It can't be a Bigfoot." But no, that wasn't the case. But we heard it multiple times, you know, over the course of that probably three month stretch. And then there was nothing. And mm. then we heard like later on, there was the, the really close up vocalization. And then just this past year, this past summer is when I saw the first, what I believe to be a footprint on a hike. And it was one of those days where, you know, we all, this is my full-time job. I do four full-time podcasts and other things. We have other podcasts that are in our network that I don't host, but we help other people with their podcasts and those things. So it's a, it's a full-time job. It's a lot of work to do what we do. So even I need a break from Bigfoot sometimes. So we took a hike on the property to an area we'd never been before, which is fairly easy to do when you have 40 acres. We still haven't hiked all the property yet. We haven't been to everywhere on the property that we own. So long story short, we went on a hike. I didn't even, I wasn't even going to take a, my phone with me. I was literally wanted to check. We don't get signal anyway. So I just wanted to leave the phone and I thought, no, you know, I might find something interesting and I might want to snap a picture. So I, I stuck my phone in my back pocket and we we're walking up this ridge line and I started seeing a couple of weird, what looked like stick structures and some trees that were woven in together that looked odd to me. And then I think I found a couple of fulcrum type structures there. And then I'm crossing over. We go down into this little gully and there's like this little creek bed probably had two, uh, maybe an inch or two of water in it. And I go to step over and I look down to step, make my next step. And I look down and I see what looks like a footprint. And I stopped and I'm like, holy shit, that looks like a footprint. <laughs> I'd literally, I think I said that out loud. And I'm like, and immediately I didn't think that it was a big footprint. I, I literally said, it looks like a footprint. I thought I was tricking myself. It looked like footprint pareidolia. It just looked like the shape of a foot. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. Like how that did that, you know, nature has a way of making cool, you know, different things that look like other things. So I take my phone out, I take a couple of pictures. And as I bent down to put the phone closer to sort of get a close up view of this thing, I look and see what looks like toes, five toes. And that is so weird. And then I look and see, it looks like the five toes are pushed down further in the front of this footprint than the back where the heel would be. I'm thinking, no, there's no freaking way this is real. This is a real footprint, right? So I the pictures, Danny's yelling to me, let's go, let's go, let's go. We're not doing Bigfoot stuff. Let's go. We gotta get, we gotta keep hiking. So we, we go on up the ridge and I keep finding other weird like stick structures. We get to the back of the ridge and I find a rock formation. There's actually pictures of, of both of these things I'm talking about in the book. Big rock formation with stacked rocks on the top of it. And again, it's so weird. So I took a picture of that and, you know, I, I didn't really think much of it. And I did, I think I, got, I posted that picture later on either. 
I got when I got back to get signal, I texted it to Doug Highcheck and I said, Doug, just tell me what you think this looks like. No, no other explanation. Didn't tell him where it came from. Didn't tell him it was my picture. Didn't tell him it was my foot with my boot in the picture. I just sent it to Doug and said, what, is, what does this look like? Doug immediately comes back with, it looks like a footprint or it's possibly a handprint. And he like outlines what I thought would be the big toe of a foot that looked sort of like a knuckle. Like if something were to press down with a knuckle by something, it looked very ape-like. Like, huh, that's weird. So I, I, I start making the picture bigger and zooming in and I'm thinking, oh my God, maybe Doug's right. I don't know. So I put it out on social media. I let people see it. You know, people were like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. That's cool. It looks like a footprint. You know how people are. It's either one or the other. That's completely fake or absolutely it looks like a footprint. There's really no in between. So fast forward to, I think it was July of August of this year. Hey, Roger, how's it going? Hi, bud. Tennessee. Uh, so I go out to uh, Ohio, no, Idaho, to do a gig with Dr. Jeff Meldrum and Mike Freeman was there, Michael Freeman and Cliff Berrickman. So we go out. Legends. To, yeah, we go out to dinner the night before, right? And I pull out my phone and said, look, I found this interesting thing. I hand my phone to Cliff. And Cliff's looking at the picture and he's like, dude, that's a Sasquatch footprint. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, it's actually a really good looking print. Did you cast it? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I didn't cast it. I didn't have any material with me. It was raining the day before. There was more rain forecasted that afternoon. It did rain later that afternoon. So it was washed away because it was like a lot of rain after that. And I never even went back to the print because I figured it was completely destroyed at this point. But Cliff's like, no, dude, that's definitely a Sasquatch footprint. And I'm like, oh, my God. So the first print I saw on the property, I really didn't know what I found. I thought it was just pareidolia in mm. print form, which is kind of weird. But so after that, I, I think the next print I found was on our neighbor's property. It's about a half a mile, three quarters of a mile away. I was up on a hike. Again, not doing really Bigfoot stuff at this point. It was me, Danny, and a couple of our neighbors that went with us. We're just out having a good time. We'd never hiked his property, so I thought it would be cool to do. Found a teepee structure on the back of his property. We found some other weird stuff. Again, that's made its way into the book. You can see those photographs there in the book. But yeah, and on the way down, I found two footprints one in front of the other. So a two print trackway on the way down the ridge. So I took pictures of that. Again, didn't have any casting material with me. I wasn't. <laughs> stuff. So you didn't, you, you didn't learn once. So it you took, should learn twice. <laughs> it took me twice. So the very next day, or maybe it was two days later, I go back. I had to re-step, re retract my steps. I took casting material with me. It literally took me two hours to find the prints again because that all that area looks so much like the other. I, I found my way back to it. I took some pictures of the prints. I cast those. They didn't turn out great because they weren't very deep, but at least I casted them. And then we found there's been two more individual, three more individual tracks that I found on the property here. Just one track that I have cast and photographed. And then the last set that I cast just maybe three months ago turned out to be the best and I haven't shown those to anybody because they turned out too good and I'm, I'm really I'm I'm weary of that because every time something turns out to be too good everybody immediately calls you a hoaxer right oh you hoax mm. those it can't be that good if you haven't hoaxed those footprints because a Bigfoot's not real and or it's not in North Carolina so the only place you're going to be able to see those pictures is in the book I did end up putting them in the book but they were very close to our house. I'm talking, I would estimate 60, 50, 60 yards from the house. <laughs> oh, that, that, that makes me shiver, mate. And it's really strange because I wondered why. And the more I thought about it, we had, it's kind of weird. I've never even told this story about the footprints. But long story short, the reason that they turned out so good was because we wanted, we'd had ducks over the this past summer they all got eaten by predators so we don't have any ducks now but 
which is kind of sad, but we're planning on getting ducks again. So we have creeks on the property, but we wanted something deeper for the ducks to be able to swim in because they love to get in and swim, right? They can't really swim in our creek because it's really fast moving water and it's not very deep in most cases, most places. So I dug out this area that's probably, I don't know, six feet long by maybe three or four feet wide. And we're going to make a natural pond area because we have drainage and runoff that comes down the hill that we call chicken run up near our house. And I dug this out and there was dirt, like loose dirt in that area. And it was right after I had dug this out that I go out there to feed the chickens and I find these two prints perfectly ah. in the middle of where I had dug this. And it's, it struck me as odd because I hear stories from people sometimes who say they only get activity when things change or they cut down trees or they change the land in some way. And again, this is completely subjective on my part. I have no way to prove what I'm saying. It's simply a theory that I have that would explain why this thing would step in the exact place that it stepped because it geographically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for this thing to step where it stepped but it did. So I don't know. That's, that's sort of the story behind those prints. Like I said, I, I really haven't talked about it at all publicly because people tend to say, Oh yeah, you're making that up or you faked it or whatever. I don't need that. You know, I just put it out there like it is. I talk about what happens, the experiences that I have, you can believe it or not. You can take what you want and leave the rest. But that's sort of the story behind those two mm. footprints and it, it is a definite left and right foot it, there's no doubt about it there's five toes <laughs> it's one of the best sets of footprints i have personally ever seen casted to be honest with you mm. wow and 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 i will say brian i know how it feels when you come across that first ever print and when i came across mine i didn't i just didn't say anything i just stood there for two three minutes it took me it took me to two three minutes to process what i had found and then to come out with anything i was like um 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 uh, <laughs> and and it it was yeah it, it's just really but when when you only have those two prints you go where where are the rest where where are the rest of and why don't we get them all the time if we've got so many bigfoot sightings there are so many over the world and you go why are we not finding more footprints it's it's another um kind of just mystery isn't it that it's like you've got the main bigfoot mystery and you've got loads of mysteries inside that and it's just odd isn't it and the fact that you have actually got an actual toe-to-toe -to -toe print is incredible, mate. Absolutely incredible. And on your property as well, that's just luck. That 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 is complete luck that you found that in it. Um, it's. And the one yeah. thing I'm glad you mentioned that about not finding the prints because I had that conversation with myself. The first, mm. after the initial one that I found that I didn't cast. The first one that I found that was castable was on a trail that I walked the dogs on every single day. We walked around. It was one single footprint. And of course, they're the people that say, oh, yeah, it was the Bigfoot on the pogo stick. That's what always happens. There's always one print. It flies in and then it disappears into a portal. That's why you only have one print. And I actually, I got so tired of the naysayers on my Facebook I think after I posted that, it had something like 28 or 30,000 views and all that, you know, seven or 800 comments. And a lot of the comments were very similar to that. Why is there only one print? So I went back and did a walking video, I think just a couple of days later, because I was really so pissed off at these people that were just, because I questioned myself. I say the same thing. Like, why, why is there only one print? Because you, you interview those people and they, oh, I found a print. Well, why? Why was there just one? It's simple. And I went back and did another video right after we'd had some rain and proved you can literally have a spot on the ground here that's a higher spot and you can make an impression. I, I did it with my boot. It was very easy to do. I even did it with some of the dog tracks from our dogs that walk around. All of my dogs have four legs. They can walk or run through an area and there'll be one print. No more prints. 
And mm. I know my dogs have four legs. I see them every day. So to prove how that could be, there can be a low spot, literally four inches. I showed it in the video. I made a print with my boot and four inches. I step in the exact same substrate and it left no impression at all. So it is possible because low spots, especially after rain, something can be muddy and literally four inches to the right or left where something else might step and even farther down in front of it. If it's not in a lower spot and it's drier, the substrate's not going to hold a print, even for something that may be 800 pounds. It just, it just yeah. happens that way. So that is an explanation for why there is, it's maybe not all the explanation for why there's only one print, but at least for me, I've proven that on the videos that I've done in follow-up to these other prints. So, mm, Yeah, it, it's, that is probably one of the first logical explanations that I've got, Brian. That is, pro that is probably the first one. Um, and I think some people, we, we, all, we all have um, our own opinions, don't we? We all have our own opinions on what um, Bigfoot is. But when I'm, all, I'm always out in the forest with a completely open mind of like, you've got to take every possibility. You can't go, this is definitely it. This, this is Bigfoot. I found Bigfoot. You, you, you can't do that. And that's why you can't, you've kind of got the really um, logical mind on. And obviously, I'm not a big fan of the paranormal side of stuff. And I, I do have a completely open mind about it. But I, I, can't, I kind of focus on all the different possibilities. And to be honest, I've debunked more than I have proven. Um, and I think that's probably a good way to kind of um, have your research head, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I totally agree. And have I casted prints on the property that aren't Sasquatch? I'm sure that's the case. But if you talk to somebody like Cliff, and I, Cliff's a friend of mine, and I trust him implicitly as far as his opinion. He's been doing Bigfoot stuff for a long time. Say what you want about Cliff and or finding Bigfoot, whatever your opinions are. He knows his stuff. So... If he's talking to me about, and he said it to me when I was on their podcast, I was on with Cliff and Bobo, uh, Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo last year. He said to me, look, dude, cast everything you come across. If you're in doubt at all that it could be, yes, cast it, right? Because if you don't, you'll never know. And again, most of my prints, the cast are horrible. They turned out crappy. They look like globs, right? But at least I cast them. And that's the other thing that Cliff told me. If you're doing the research, cast everything. Because you might you might turn out because sometimes the pictures look better than the prints and vice versa. So take pictures, take video and cast everything that you come across because there's something to be gleaned from all of that. So that's what I've done. If I find anything else, I'm going to cast it. Like I said, the last two were almost perfect. It was really scary, but... I cast them and I have that for posterity and anybody can take a look at them and say what you want, your opinions. I haven't shown them to Cliff and or Dr. Meldrum yet, but I'm going to see both of them in Ohio. So I may try to, I'm driving to Ohio when I'm doing the Ohio Bigfoot conference this year in May. I may take them with me just so Cliff can take a look at them because I'm going to be hanging out with him at his booth and I'm going to be selling my books there. So, you know, I may have them with me if anybody's going to be at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference and you want to come by and get a copy of the book. Cliff wrote the foreword to the book, so we're going to be there signing books together and selling books. And if you want to take a look at, he has all, tons of casts and he has all kinds of cool North American Bigfoot Center merch <laughs> that he'll be there selling. Cliff gave me my water bottle. I appreciate that, Cliff. <laughs> so come by and take a look at his stuff and you can possibly see the the prints that we're talking about because the picture is going to be in the book as well. So you'll you'll get to see it one way or the other. Well, I will. I will say to everyone in this chat, uh, we have uh, quite we have quite a few people, Brian, um, that are um, here with us. Um, uh, and I will say, um, my last question for you, because that the last fifty-five minutes has run very, very quickly, very quickly, Brian. I, 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 I've so enjoyed this interview. It's been amazing. But my last question to you is. From here, where do you plan on kind of um, going with your um, Bigfoot kind of 
plan or kind of uh, journey, I'll say? My journey has just begun. I feel like the Odyssey, that's one of the reasons I named my show Sasquatch Odyssey, because it really is an odyssey or an, a journey for me. Because as you said, everybody you talk to, you learn something new. The book was something very different for me that I've always wanted to write the book. And I just decided last year I was going to do it. So I sat down in a couple of months, I knocked out the book. There's 15 chapters in the book, so there's a lot there, but I didn't cover everything that I wanted to cover in the book. So I want to dive into some of those categories and go a little deeper. I've already started working on the second book, at least in my brain. So that's going to be part of the journey this year is knocking out a second book and getting out in the field as much as possible. Like I said, I want to do more here on the property. We want to be able to maybe open up and invite people out to come out and just see what we're experiencing because there are tree structures. There's all kinds of strange things that maybe people know a little bit more about than I do. So we're looking to do that and open that up. And then I'm trying to do more conferences and more speaking gigs and just getting out and traveling and meeting more people because that's really what it's all about for me is I enjoy meeting people. I love being at the conferences and being face to face with people. You get to sit behind the microphone like you and I are doing now, and that's great, but there's nothing like being in the same room right across from somebody, being able to shake their hand and say hello and get into conversation. So we're looking to do a lot more of those. I think we've already got like seven or so, maybe eight on the books that we're going to do this year. And it's a lot of traveling, but I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And then honestly, like I said, just staying out in the field more and trying to do a little bit more field research. I enjoy being out in the woods. I got to go out to Radium this past year in October and spend seven days up there on an expedition. and had some really experience, really cool experiences. And I want to have a sighting. I, I really do. I want to yeah. have more experiences and I, I would love to see one of these things. So I'm going to devote as much time as I can. Obviously, I have a lot of content to create. And then we're just going to continue doing the podcast. We just started a brand new podcast called Backwoods Horror Stories. If you're How into, many do you have? Uh, way too many. I, I, <laughs> I basically five full-time shows at this point. But Sasquatch Odyssey is the main show. Then uh, Wayne and I do a show called That Bigfoot Podcast where we, it's not interview based. It's not encounters based. It's talking about other things in Bigfoot. We just did a show about Ape Canyon that was released on Friday. So we're getting into all kinds of things. We're actually doing a live tonight. So if you guys are going to be around at 7 p.m. Eastern, Wayne and Tiffany and I are going to be live on our YouTube channel. And we're going to be talking about an interesting story about some gentleman who apparently went to Texas and paid to see a live Sasquatch that was being held captive there. We're going to get into that and maybe debunk oh. that, talk a little bit about that story. So, yeah. And then what the I back will say, I will say, I will, if I'm up, I'll join you, but it'll be midnight here in the UK. So we'll, um, I will see Brian. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then the Backwoods Horror Stories podcast you can find on YouTube. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's all about stories. I narrate stories over there that are submitted by listeners. And it's it's really interesting. You get some, because there's a lot of people who don't want to come on and share their story like I'm doing now in a podcast setting. So they'll send us those stories. So I just read them and it's people enjoy that stuff. So if you want, if you're into stories, go check out Backwoods Horror Stories. We'd love to have you join us subscribe and hit that notification bell on youtube so brian mate i want to thank you so much and um and i will say um it's been amazing amazing chatting to you and yes to everyone in the chat right now and to everyone who is watching this on pre on pre-record um please please subscribe to all his podcasts and um subscribe to the biggest bigfoot podcast in the world um and I will say, um, we have on Monday, I have a uh, big announcement on the way. Um, so keep an eye on the Facebook page. And me and Brian are um, setting some work up together. So um, we have some good um, good stuff coming, don't we, Brian? That we do, my friend. <laughs> um, so um, keep an eye, guys. Um, and thank you so much for joining us Um on just short notice we brian we we reached 15 people uh in in the space of an hour which is amazing um so thank you much thank you so much to everyone who was um who has listened to this and um please please don't forget to subscribe to brian's podcast subscribe to my podcast and um keep searching and stay mythical everyone 
Thank you for listening to the Mythical Legends podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook group. The truth is out there.